What's up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet, run by the most bizarre crew on the internet. I'm Shane. I'm Oren. And I'm Jenny. And uh, we got a really awesome interview for you guys today, as usual, of course, you know, because we haven't gotten too much into the deep dives yet, but that will be coming, so definitely keep your keep your uh, ears open for that. But uh, we're going to try to change the beginning of it a little bit, try to keep it a little bit more free-flowing, a little bit more organic, so it sounds a little bit less scripted for you guys, because, you know, I'm sure you guys tune out when you're just listening to just the same read-off-paper bullshit in the beginning. So we're going to try to keep it organic, but keep it short. So that being said, what new, fascinating, awesome things are going on with you guys this week? Um, well, I was on America's Scary Land podcast. I think it was on Wednesday. So if anyone wants to pop in and catch that, you can hear my jokes. <laughs> Wait. Damn it. I hit the wrong one. I always do that. <laughs> Wait, I got you. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> yeah, my button. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the name of the episode was Mirror, Mirror on the Wall or something of that effect. So. Should be easy for you guys to Who's find. Who's the flyest uh, of them all? Jenny. <laughs> yeah. But, no, the, the Scaryland guys are uh, doing some great work, so definitely uh, check them out if you guys have not. So. And then what about you, Oren? I know that you got some uh, cool stuff that you want to talk about that's going on in the future. Uh, yes. Yeah, so me and Jenny will actually be attending the Encounter Quest uh, Bigfoot Cryptid Paranormal Alien Whatever Convention. Um, it's going to be April 1st in Hamlet, North Carolina. There's some great speakers. Uh, Ron Moorhead is going to be there. Our good friends from Cryptids of the Corn are one of the speakers. It's actually going to be their first professional speaking gig. Um, so anyway, we won't be vending or have a booth or anything, but we will be walking around and hanging out. So if any of our listeners happen to be at the show, please come up and say, hey, we'd always love to meet people and hear stories and share ours. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, I'm going to attempt my best to be able to come out to that. So hopefully it can be the first place that the Bizarre Crew actually gets to all meet in person. And uh, Bizarre Crew assemble. <laughs> yay, yay. So that being said, also, if anybody is interested in sharing stories with us and you do see me there, I'm going to be walking around with my uh, mini roadcaster that attaches to my phone. So if any of you guys want to share your stories, we can do a quick little recording off in the corner somewhere. And, uh, you know, we'd be more than happy to share it on the show. And that's something that we'd love to do. And uh, as far as we go for vending. If you guys are interested in coming and checking us out, we kind of had an idea of 
at least me, I'm going to try to be vending at Bigfoot and Brews this year, which will be in, I believe it's September, and it's in the uh, southwest corner of Michigan. So if anybody's over in that area, definitely keep an eye out for that. And as far as like we go as like a whole crew, um, we're going to try our best to be able to vend CryptidCon this year. So if you guys are interested in seeing us there, let us know. Let us know if it's worth us setting everything up. And uh, let us know like what you guys want to see there because we're trying to figure out exactly what we want to vend, of course. And we're going to be, you know, we're going to have some of our shirts. Uh, we're going to have some like you, um, framework stuff, inquiries of our reality stuff, kind of all of our stuff mixed together on a table. Um, my daughter said she wanted to do some cryptid art, so that might even be a thing. Um, I was thinking about doing this thing and I haven't fully figured out the full idea, but essentially I went to a Salvation Army and I ended up finding this uh, unopened box of... Um, like cookie cutter stencils. And I found one that was a foot. So my smart idea that I'm kind of intending to do at CryptidCon, and I don't know if it's just going to be some nice thing that I try to do for the kids, of course, but uh, I want to make sugar cookies out of those prints and cover it in some kind of icing that hardens and maybe even like put some mashed up Oreos on it and pretty much make like Bigfoot cast cookies. So if anybody thinks that's a good idea, let me know. If it's not a good idea, you guys think it's dumb, let me know also. But, you know, I'm trying to incorporate stuff so that our table isn't just based around adults, but we can also have some components at least for, for some kids, of course, because me also having a kid, I want to make it fun for them too. And I want to be able to bring young kids into the community. So if you guys are interested in that, definitely let me know because I would love to keep expanding on the idea of making things more interesting for the kids as far as the events go, but it'll be Shane's bizarre bake sale. Bizarre bake. I got to extend it at that point. Then I got to start making other stuff like, uh, I got to find a stencil of a butt and I can start making Mothman butt cookies. (laughs) Make that shit thick as fuck. (laughs) No, I have to make it as a shake. I'll make Mothman ass shakes and make them thick as fuck. (laughs) Bring our voice to the yard. Yes, Mothman. <laughs> My Mothman shakes bring the boys to the yard, and they're like, damn, that's a fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> I got the right timing on that one, so. <laughs> but uh, without further ado, because I'm sure you guys don't want to hear us uh, just keep talking about random bullshit forever. We'll make jokes. We'll extend on it. If you guys enjoy this part of the show, let us know, and maybe we'll do a little bit more with it, but kind of keep it attuned to what the topics are instead of letting it stray away into like, oh, what kind of movies did you watch this week? But let us know what you guys think of our riffing. But let's uh, get into the front of the house and knock all that stuff out so we can get into this awesome interview. We also restructured this, try to make it a little bit faster for you guys. So without further ado, Orin, take it away with the first first part. All right, guys. So if anybody out there wants to share any bizarre encounter that they've had with us or they want to make suggestions on possible guests or topics, please reach out to us either by email at bizarreencounters at outlook.com or uh, you can submit a form on our link tree or reach out to us uh, through social media. We'd be happy to share your accounts on the air or uh, we'll keep them to ourselves if you would rather them just be private. So whatever you guys want to hear or share, please reach out. And uh, researchers too. We would definitely love to talk to some researchers and authors in there. And um, as far as like the, the submission goes, form goes on the link tree um, and email in general, I guess. More often than not, it seems like our stuff goes to the junk or spam folder. We reply to everything. So just keep an eye out because I don't want any messages to get lost because it's not a matter of if we're going to reply. It's a matter of when we reply. So don't let stuff get lost. And 
while you're already going and possibly messaging us on social media, don't forget to follow the page. Uh, it's a good way to get updates on the show, different things that we're doing. Um, you can also go and hop into the Discord or the Telegram to have some awesome conversations with some awesome people. Uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's multiple ways to do so. Uh, you can, first of all, go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store where you'll find like all of our you know logos, merchandise, all that fun stuff. Uh, you can also come and check out the Patreon. There you'll get early access to the show. Uh, you'll get access to live feeds of the show. Um, and we're going to be building up on that. Maybe we'll add some more components into that in the future. Um, and then you can also donate on Run Circle. If you just want to drop a couple bucks to help us upgrade some equipment, because you know we want to try to get uh, Orn and Jenny a little bit more crisp of a mic eventually, uh, we definitely appreciate it. So don't forget to do that. And uh, we appreciate anything that you guys are able to contribute. And while you're also supporting some more local people, don't forget to go and check out Joe at Crypto Theology. Uh, always killing it with some awesome crypto designs. Uh, that of course, is available through all of our normal stuff. Just you'll find crypto theology if you come and look at our pages. So, okay. And every link that we've mentioned is on the link tree in the show description. And with that, Oren, why don't you tell them a little bit about our guest that we're having today? Tonight's guest is June Lundgren, aka the Demon Seer. June is an author, psychic, medium, and she's appeared on several television and radio programs. She's the founder and lead investigator of Ghosts and Girls Paranormal. So, June, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. And uh, would you tell us a little bit more about kind of how you got started and what you do and any uh, background information you'd like to share with us? Well, it's I've always been a psychic medium all my life, and I've always been able to see demons in their true form. Uh, I have always helped people with their paranormal issues, talking to loved ones or haunted houses, that type of thing. So I did that for quite some time. Uh, when I was in the military, I was spent two in the Army and three in the Air Force. So, you know, I was stuck at a sack base in the Air Force. So you really couldn't say much about your abilities because my uncle was um, an, a uh, bird colonel. And he said, don't tell him anything about your abilities because he worked for the OSI and he said they're looking for people to try like LSD and stuff on to increase their abilities. He said, so keep quiet about it. So I always did, you know, people that knew me and needed help that they would come to my friends and stuff. And then I would help. I got out of the military in 81, uh, came home and started helping people with their problems uh, by word of mouth because the internet was not up and running at that time. So it was basically word of mouth. And uh, I, I've been, I died in a motorcycle accident in 1988 and I went to the other side and my grandparents met me. Michael the Archangel was there. But he's been with me all my life, so I'm, I'm used to him. And he said, you're here because you need to understand who and what you are. And I told him, I said, yeah, I'm just me. And he's like, no. He says, you need to understand that within you resides the soul of Ariel, the archangel. Your, your body was created to hold her as a vessel. She is a demon slayer and you're going to go back and do what you're supposed to do, which is slay demons. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know who Ariel is. And all right, if you say so. So I woke up, I went back into my body and woke up with the 
police officer standing over me, looking very relieved when I opened my eyes. And um, it was, I had to immediately look and see what I could find on Ariel because I had no clue as to who she was. The only thing you could find is that she is um, one of the five that guard the throne of God. And she is, um, her name means Lion of God. But she's so much more than that. But evidently the Catholic Church doesn't think she's worth veneration. (laughs) (laughs) Even though she's a demon slayer. (laughs) That's uh, really interesting. That that never ceases to amaze me. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, previous guest that we interviewed on the show, he also had a near-death experience and uh, came back from the other side. And he was sharing a little bit of that with us. So I think it's a kind of a, a synchronicity here that we've had two guests in a row that have had these kind of accounts. Um, so that's very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh-huh. So um, as far as like your, your demon seer gifts, um, when did you start like recognizing that you had this ability? Um, I was about four and a half years old. I, I was, I grew up with my grandparents, my maternal grandparents and about four and a half years old how I saw demons changed. Before that, I saw them as most humans do, you know, your preconceived notion of what they should look like. But at that time, it changed. I saw them in their true form, and it frightened me. And Michael told me not to worry about it because I was seeing through the eyes of an angel. He said, you see them as we see them in their true form. He said, I want you to watch them. I want you to learn from them. I want you to see how they work so that you can defend yourself against them when you get older. And, you know, you're a kid, you're thinking, oh, okay, no problem, I do that. But um, my grandmother, when I started doing, uh, when I died and went to the other side and came back and started doing removals, my grand- I didn't want to be called an exorcist because I've seen too many phonies. And my grandmother's from Ireland. And she said, why don't you call yourself what we call you in Ireland, a demon seer. Someone that can see, uh, see, communicate, hear, and kill demons. And I'm like, okay, that sounds better. I don't like exorcists. <laughs> so I don't know but, an awful lot about um, this side of the paranormal. Would you mind or be comfortable with sharing a little bit more about, uh, mm-hmm. first off, you mentioned how most people perceive these demon entities. And then you said you see them in their true form. Uh, Would you be comfortable sharing a little bit about what both of those forms look like? Yeah. When it, the demons can do like angels can and like ghosts can, they look into your mind and they find your preconceived idea of what they should look like, that your image of them. Like if you see them as a bugs bunny, then that's what they're going to look like, you know? It's just most people see them as, you know, like horn, some, a creature with horns and half man, half goat, things like that, you know. And uh, so that's what they reach in and they pull that, out that image. And they make you see them like that only a hundred times worse. They do that to elicit fear. They want to elicit fear because the negative energy in that feeds them. Now, I see them in their true form. Uh, they're, kind, they're a lot like archangels in the way that they're seven foot tall. They have a 12-foot wingspan. But that's where the similarities stop. Whereas archangels 
are all white and their features are very pronounced and their eyes can be any color. The uh, demons have almost no features, facial features to speak of, except the eyes. In the old demons, the eyes are golden. And in the younger demons and the minions, their eyes are red. But the thing is, when you look into those eyes, you see every atrocity, every evil you could ever dream up and then some. You will never be the same again because it's like it brands you forever. Now, I, I've been seeing them for 60, 60 years. I don't even pay no attention anymore. <laughs> but there have been a few people that have wanted to see what I see. And I tell them, you know, you don't want to see what I see. I have the ability to make people see what I see. And there have been a couple of people, a um, friend of mine, who's an ordained minister. He says, like, I really want to see what you see. And I'm like, okay, but you have to be prepared for it. And he held, I, I reached out and held his hand. And he's like, he just had this look on his face of, oh, my God. And then he let go of my hand. And I pulled back the ability from him. And he's like, you're right. I never want to see that again. <laughs> I'm like, eh, you know, I live with it every day. Wow. But uh, Zach Baggins was the other one that did that. I told him, I said, you don't want to see what I see. <laughs> and he did, and he didn't like it either. I think that's really interesting, uh, especially because a lot of the things you mentioned seems to me that it has a lot of connections to the larger, you know, paranormal world as far as, you know, glowing red eyes is a characteristic of a lot of different things in the paranormal encrypted community. And even, you know, like uh, depictions of shadow people, it seems kind of similar to me, like what you were describing with the demons, uh, physical yeah. appearance. Uh -huh. And also, you know, just yeah, um, the shadow people are, are a lesser demon. Okay. The shadow Very people are more like minions, like the creepy crawly dudes that, you know, they turn themselves into all kinds of weird things and they crawl on the ceilings and the walls and everything. You know, they're more annoying than anything, but you know, <laughs> you have to deal with them. So I've, I've, this is very interesting to me because I've got a, a whole bunch of stories myself that I don't quite understand yet, but um, it's some shadow people. Um, I had an incubus that stuck around for a while, but it never let me see it. I knew it was there, but it never let me see it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, they don't. If they don't intend to attach themselves to you, they won't. It'd be, it's almost like you're, they're window shopping. You know, okay. they're like, oh, let me watch this person for a while, you know, and you'll know that there's something there, but you won't know what it is or what it looks like, but you get the feeling like you're being watched and like there's something you just can't put your finger on. And that's them when they start stalking you, basically. And once they decide to attach themselves to you, then it's full on. And you know what they, you can, they'll show themselves. Could they uh, potentially choose to, like, so the whole idea of, like, in horror, that if you don't see something, it's almost scarier. So if somebody has, like, the intention that the scariest thing is the is not actually seeing it, but feeling it, could they also, on another side, take advantage of that and basically know that your biggest fear is not seeing something and never show themselves, even if they are attached, because they know that you're more scared of not seeing them? 
Yeah, it's it's it happens, but you know, if they want to elicit the greater fear, they'll show themselves to you. But it does happen from time to time. Of course, they know your weaknesses because they watch you. If they are tending to stalk you, uh, to attach themselves to you, they will watch everything. They will watch for your weaknesses. They will watch for your strengths. They will watch for like what like your children mean more to you or your animal means more to you. So they will go after whatever it is that means more to you. Or they will tell you that they're going to kill the animal or they're going to kill the children, you know, that you'll never be free. They start in with the, you know, I'm going to kill you. You're never going to be free. Nobody can help you. It's kind of like brainwashing. And they like to do that a lot. Okay. So when you when you say attached, are you referring to possession or what do you mean by attached? Not necessarily. They can attach themselves to you like a hitchhiker. You know, they'll go where you go. They'll make, you know, they'll make your health go downhill. They'll make your finances go in the toilet. They'll make your relationships go in the toilet. And they just kind of enjoy watching your world crash down around you. And the more you suffer, the more they like it. But if they were in possession, that'd be a totally different thing. Demons really don't like to remain in possession of a body for any length of time. They don't want to be subject to a shell. The shell restricts them, and they don't like that. So they will come and go in a person. You know, the Hollywood version is they're with you 24-7, you know, possessing, possessing your body. That's not, that's not really how it is. Like I said, they don't want to be in a shell. They don't want to be restricted. They want to be able to just come and go as they please. So uh, kind of piggybacking off of your earlier point about um, these demons or entities attaching themselves to people, uh, in your experience, is it possible that they also attach themselves to physical locations? Because uh, in a lot of Jenny's shadow people experience, you know, it happened when she was in one location. And then once she moved Mm -hmm. to uh, where we live now, this activity kind of stopped. Yeah, they, they can t- attach themselves to a person, an animal, a location, even an object. And, you know, like I went to Alcatraz and did a night night investigation. And, you know, there's the one demon that was in, you know, cell block that was in uh, solitary confinement cell number 13. <laughs> and, you know, the guy it, the guys from Ghost Adventures went in there and they saw the red eyes and everything and ran the other way. But when I went there, I asked, I, they said, who wants to go in there? I'm like, ooh, me. <laughs> so I went in there, and it's dark. I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. But when the demon comes in, it's darker than, than even that. And then you can see the eyes. And my friend was with me, and she's like, oh, crap. And I'm like, eh. So we'll just kill it and get it out. I'll just kill it and get it over with, and, and we don't have to worry about it. But I did find out that there was, there is a demon entombed in the rock, under the rock. It was, it went against Lucifer. And so he entombed it inside of the rock to, uh, to basically imprison it. It knows it can't leave there because if it leaves there, Lucifer will kill it. 
So it exists there. That's why there's always going to be demons there because, you know, this is an old demon he entombed. So it's going to attract other demons. So you're never going to get rid of them all because they just keep coming. So you were talking about like the, the like hierarchy with them, that the older demons have like the golden eyes and that the younger ones have the red eyes. So mm-hmm. when it comes to that, when you have like the, the, the older ones, do they like attract and draw the younger ones? And so that kind of is like where like a, like a location will have like a plethora of having a ridiculous amount of demons is because there's one older one there and all the other ones gravitate to it. Or do you think it's more so linked to that? There's certain locations that have a negative aspect to it. So every rather than them attracted to an older demon, they're more attracted to the location itself. A lot of times they're attracted to the location, but every old demon has, I guess the best way, they have a bunch of small demons under them. And the the lesser demons have, uh, you know, a bunch of the creepy crawly dudes. But it's a hierarchy because the old demon is the master. The younger, lesser demon is just like a hormonal teenager running rampant. You know, I'm going to cause as much chaos and destruction as I possibly can. And I'm going to have a good time doing it. But again, they have to answer to the old demon. And the old demons have no patience with ones that do not do what they're supposed to do. Are they? But, uh, um, yeah. A location can attract them if there's been a lot of uh, death on that location or battles. Uh, it will attract It will attract the younger demons. Uh, prisons attract them, um, care facilities, rehab centers, you know, hospitals. They all attract them. So the uh, the older demons, do they more so get like a like a legion, if you will, that's like um, it's given to them, or is it more so that they create some of these younger ones so they follow them because they're almost like the creators of them? Like where does where does like that hierarchy well, kind of come in where they choose like who they follow or what elder demon they're with? Well, the young ones exist, and the old demons say, "I want you and you and you and you, and you're going to work for me." You know, kind of like a mafia boss. You know, you're going to work for me. You're going to do my bidding and you better do it right because I'll kill you if you don't. And the lesser demons are like, okay, okay. You know, they, but usually you don't find the old demons in the physical world because we're just not worth their time and effort. But when you do see them here or you do find them, it's usually because they've been given an assignment by Lucifer. Now they don't, if, it, if they had their druthers, they would never come into the physical world. So, um, kind of expanding more into your gifts, um, what other, like, types of beings or, like, entities are you capable of seeing, and what other ones have you, like, been in contact with that have given you kind of, like, a, like a well-rounded understanding of, like, the way the universe functions? Well, you know, there's there are the there are the demons, of course, and there are what I call the wild cards, which are like the incubus and the succubus, and the harpies. The harpies are kind of creepy dudes. Uh, they just kind of they they're har- basically they are what history says they are harbingers of death. If someone's dying, they will come. They'll be drawn to that individual who's dying, or if there's a mass, let's like say there's a mass earthquake. And a bunch of people die. They're drawn to that as well. And they'll basically try to capture the souls of the people that are dying and keep them from going to the light. 
But and then there's um, Sasquatch. When I was up in Washington at Gilliam Ranch, um, I communicated telepathically with the Sasquatch, which they're cool. You know, they don't want to have anything to do with us. Don't want to be with us at all. They think we're stupid. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can tell you that. That's true. <laughs> and one night when I was like nine months pregnant, I was laying. It was summertime. I was laying in the in the uh, on the couch, and we had a big glass plate, you know, plate glass window. And I saw this this thing, this light come streaking across and then went straight down and it kind of hovered about I don't know about 10 or 12 miles above my pasture and I could hear them telepathically and they're looking for when I dug into their brain they're looking for people with abilities so that they can reproduce those abilities in their people and then I'm like nope shut down <laughs> I shut myself down and shut them out. I'm not going there with that one. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had actually never heard of these uh, harpies before, but when you were describing them, it sounds to me a lot like, uh, you know, the Mothman depictions where, you know, this is a harbinger of doom and, uh, you know, it, it pre dated the Silver Bridge disaster. So um, do you think, one, it's possible that the Mothman entity could have been one of these creatures? And uh, number two, if that is the case, was... um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Was that entity there um, because the disaster was going to happen, or was the entity being there what caused the disaster? It It was a warning. They're like okay. banshees, you know, in Ireland, Scotland, the banshees, uh, they herald death. They herald a death in the family, you know, but in with the Mothman, they're kind of a combination. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Watchers. Mm-hmm. Watchers are neither bad nor bad nor good. They simply do what their name says. They simply watch. They simply observe. And that's their whole goal in their existence is to learn and to observe. So he's kind of like a cross between a harpy and a watcher. He's kind of, some of them have a tendency to force their evolution. There's a lot of demons that try to force their evolution because demons do evolve. Angels evolve just as people evolve. And if you force the evolution, bad things can happen. So uh, we frequently brought this up on the show, this whole idea of people looking at a bunch of different beings like they're multiple different things, but they're all actually the same thing. So, you know, kind of continuing on with the whole uh, Mothman slash Harpies thing, I just also want to throw in uh, Ravenmockers, which we talked about on the last show, which is almost like the Cherokee version of kind of the same concept. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, Skinwalkers. Mm -hmm. You know, they think, you know, they're, they're demonic. You know, they're, they're bad. And, but that's how their culture sees them. Just like, you know, uh, in uh, the Arabic, they, you know, they have the jinns, you know, those are demons, you know, and everyone, they, even though they're called by a different name, they're all the same, no matter what you call them. It's kind of like God, you know, Buddha, Jehovah, you know, Shriva, whatever. They're, it's all one. It's just people's different you know, perceptions 
of how they should be, what they should look like. So uh, talking a little bit more about perceptions and uh, people's perceptions of how these things look, earlier when you were mentioning you know, your encounters with Sasquatch and the fact that these Sasquatch beings are these lower level entities or demons, um, in your experience or opinion, um, are these Sasquatch beings, um, is, is this idea that we have typically of them, is that what they actually look like? Or is that just, you know, something that people perceive them as? Because if you're in the woods, you're expecting to see a Sasquatch. It's something, it's, it's a blending. Uh, Sasquatch are not demons. They are physical beings. And okay. they've, uh, they've kept away from man's evolution. They're, they evolve at a slower rate. And they're very simplistic in their way of thinking and their belief system. And they don't want man to be in there. You know, man destroys their woods. They don't want that. They don't want them killing the animals just for sport. And they just don't want us around. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you for clearing that up. I'm sorry I misunderstood your point earlier. Yeah, no, if there was a demon, I'd, I'd kill him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're not out there killing Sasquatches. <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't do that. They're very nice. They're very nice. Good. <laughs> um, so something we kind of talked about on my show that I'd like to uh, also get in with on this show, because I guarantee there's going to be a different matter of perspective with uh, the extraterrestrial aspect of it. Um, but... As far as like the broader universe itself, and I know that uh, when we talked previously, and you can go a little bit more in depth with it, of God being part of uh, the Galactic Federation, um, why don't you kind of give everybody kind of like an understanding of like what you have of like that hierarchy? Well, it's, it's a different hierarchy. The, um, the Council of Elders is above the Galactic Federation, and basically they were all physical at one time or another, and we have their DNA in a lot of different species and a lot of different planets in different galaxies are seeded with their DNA as well. And they are like, they are older than they've been around since the cosmos began. And they're, you know, then came the, the galactic federation, which were basically the younger ones. And they were given the job to oversee, you know, the planets and to make sure that, you know, people just don't go out. It's kind of like reminds me of the day the earth stood still, you know, the old one, not the new one. When, um, you know, they were policing, basically policing the uh, beings, physical beings on any and every planet. They never got involved. They would watch. Uh, the only time they ever got involved was if there was an issue, um, like life-changing issue for the planet itself. But um, they're, they try never to get involved either. They do, but they do occasionally. They will show themselves occasionally, and they will help if they feel it will help the evolution of a world, of a people. But for the most part, they don't. And then there are the um, God and his brothers. There are 11 of them. And he has brothers and sisters. And they were created and given uh, sentience. And so they, they, have, they found us. We, you know, billions of years ago, we had physical bodies. 
and God found us and he helped us to evolve to the point where we got rid of war, famine, disease. And in the end, our whole pursuit was of knowledge. We evolved into pure energy over time. And as a group, we traveled everywhere. We saw everything. We saw planets die. We saw black holes come to life. We saw suns being born. We saw species of every kind. And we, we traveled and we, we amassed this knowledge for hundreds of thousands of years. And then one day there arose, uh, there arose people that said, listen, you know, we've done everything. We've seen everything. We're tired of it. We want to have physical bodies. We want to be able to have children. We want to know love. You know, this is what we want to do. And Lucifer rose up against that and said, no, 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 no. We do not want to be subject to a shell. We do not want to be subject to disease, growing old, pain, anything like that. We just, we just don't want it. And that's where, quote unquote, the war between heaven and hell happened. Uh, uh, long before this happened, God had created the Legion of Light. And the Legion of Light is comprised of Ariel, Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel. And they are the elite demon slayers. They are the ones who train the warrior angels. They train the warrior angels to defend heaven. And But each warrior angel has its own specialty. Some are, some are good in battle. Some are healers. Some are facilitators. Some are, you know, communication specialists. It's all about whatever their specialty is. They bring that basically to the table and they help. So God had created these, this legion before Lucifer you know, went up against him because he knew it would only be a matter of time. Not if, but when Lucifer showed that side. Because he's always been very, very, he's um, always wanting to be number one. And he, you know, he wanted to take over God's role. Of course, he never could, but that didn't stop him from trying. So for that, they got relegated to the dark realm. God opened up a rift into a dark realm and said, here you go. This is your new realm. You're going to live in here. And at first they were get glad of it. You know, like, good. This is my kingdom now, Lucifer says. I can, I can be the head guy. And it's good. But over the... The hundreds of thousands of years, they've gotten angry and resentful and vengeful. And their whole goal is to, you know, wreak vengeance on the white light souls because the white light souls are the ones who entombed them in the dark realm. And each physical body has a white light soul in it. And we are vulnerable. The soul is vulnerable when it's in a physical body. So that's why they're always after us and stuff. Wow, that's uh, really fascinating to me. I've never heard um, the stories of the Galactic Federation and whatnot. Do you think it's possible that a lot of the you know UFO alien lore comes from these ancient uh, battles and depictions of these uh, Galactic Federations and whatnot? Yeah, they do. A lot of them come from them. A lot of the, what we call ETs, they are, again, seeded from these being the uh, 
the Council of Elders. So yeah, it's it's, it's one giant circle of life. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh-huh. So uh, the Council of Elders, um, do you kind of have like an idea of like who exactly like sits on that? Like I'm kind of curious if some of the other beings that people depict as different gods and different, um, I guess you could say like God-like beings, not necessarily like God-gods, but mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> are some of them, like have they shown themselves and kind of like misdirected a culture into like their image? Well, yeah, that's happened from time to time, but for like I said, for the most part, they try not to interfere. But that there, if there is an issue, they will send the uh, Galactic Federation. But the Council of Elders have what they call the, what I call the Golden Warriors. They have they, whereas God uses white light to heal and to destroy demons. The the uh, Council of Elders and the Galactic and the Galactic Federation use a golden, a powerful golden light as a weapon, and it's quite powerful, actually. They have warriors in both both guilds. Uh, the warrior angels for the Golden Warrior Angels are. Uh, like our, you know, our elite SEAL squadrons, you know, they go in, they take out what they need to take out, and they go back. They do what they need to do, and they and they go back to where they belong. So, um, kind of a kind of a weird question. I don't know if you actually know the actually you might know the answer to this, but um, so the whole idea of like when something dies, that energy can't necessarily be created or destroyed, so it goes somewhere else. But when it comes into the aspect of like if an angel or a demon dies, um, do you know what happens to that consciousness? Like, is it completely like disintegrated and destroyed, or does it go to like another different type of like reality? Like, what what exactly happens to that consciousness and energy? Well, when when I kill a demon, or Ariel kills a demon, it's it's like its molecules are spread among the stars. When it dies, there is no coming back. There is no consciousness. Their energy is dispersed among the stars. So it doesn't remain as one sentient being anymore. Once it dies, it dies. And an angelic being, I've only seen it happen once that it died, but it chose to die to experience death as, you know, as they would perceive it. But they came, he was reborn as an angel right away. It's like, oh, okay, I'm coming back. There you go. He ex- went and wanted to experience the death state and then returning the rebirth state. So in your opinion, uh, are these beings what, you know, visited our ancestors in ancient times and what these stories of, you know, these beings from the stars came down and gave people information and technology? Uh, do you think it's yeah. possible that that's what uh, our ancient ancestors were referring to? Yeah, what we repre- misrepresented as an Atlanteans. Okay. You know, that's where, these were representatives from them, from the Galactic Federation. And do you think Atlantis was a physical place that was actually flooded like the legends say? Or do you think Atlantis maybe is some kind of, you know, craft or something of that nature? No, the Atlantis, Atlantis was an actual place. Mm-hmm. And 
the problem with the what happened there was the people that lived there uh, that were the offshoots of the Galactic Federation were um, thinking of themselves as gods. And that struck God wrong. And so what he did was he sent a, a massive earthquake to basically swallow up the island and anybody else that was in it. But he went to he went to his uh, people that were that his priests in uh, in Atlantis, and he told them send out representatives from each culture. You know, builders. Uh, you know, people that knowledge that have advanced knowledge and ones that could grow things. He said send out each one of you. Send out people like that to teach the rest of the people, the humans. Uh, what they need to know to survive. So, uh, kind of so piggybacking off of that, um, does the Galactic Federation and the Council of Elders did they have anything to do with the biblical flood account um, and, uh, you know, the giants being wiped out by the flood and, um, you know, all of those tales? They didn't. They didn't actually do it. They they uh, they sanctioned it. Okay. You know, because God said, you know, this is what needs to be done. We just need to start all over again, basically. Gotcha. And they sanctioned, you know, they sanctioned it. So that's, they helped. So uh, not to pull away from this part of the conversation, but I definitely, I remembered how I was going to word my question. So when it comes to angels, assumably, like, they could be created yeah. and reproduced through, like, God himself making more of them or however that works exactly. But when it comes to demons like how exactly does like the reproduction factor come in or is it one of those things where there's only so many and there's only going to be so many and if they all die off then they die off and there's not really like a reproductive factor that comes into them right right and angels don't reproduce uh there are a set amount of angels a set amount of demons and they neither one of them reproduce but it's like each one each Demon has a soul. Each angel has a soul. And I'm sure I'm going to get ditched for this, but, you know, there are the, there are God and Jesus or Jehovah, whatever you want to call him. And then there are the, the Legion of Light. And below them are the archangels, which they are in charge of. And below them are the warrior angels. And then there are the common, what I call the common angels. It's the only way I can and say it you know they haven't moved up the ranks yet they're just the plain ones and then there are the common souls that have not evolved yet but you know they they can move up in rank if they have earned it by the by the deeds that they do for god does the uh, same rules kind of apply as far as like human consciousness goes then that if our consciousness was taken from somewhere else in the universe, is there only like a set amount of like human consciousness? And when the whole reproductive factor comes in, it's more so about like the physical vessel rather than like the actual like spiritual vessel. So you're the spiritual vessel. There's no need for it to reproduce because there's a set number of them, yeah. but then you have to make physical <laughs> yeah. vessels for them to come into. Right. For them to come into it's, it's up to the physical, it's up to the soul, you know, if they come back or not, they don't have to come back. If they're, you know, sick and tired of reincarnating, then they stay on the other side. They're given a job. 
But if they want to come back, they can come back as soon as they want, or maybe they want to wait 100 years or whatever. But no one forces them to come back. It's entirely up to the individual soul. And there are certain things that are set in stone when at the time you come in, the the time you leave, and the method in which you die. These things, these three things are all set in stone because the soul says, this is how it's going to be. This is how I'm going to, I'm going to come in on the 4th of July. I'm going to leave on November 21st. I'm going to be 87 years old and I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to die from a heart attack. So there you go. All these things happen. The, the wild card thing about that is, you know you're going to die from a heart attack, but you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know who is present at the time of the death. You don't know where you are at the time of the death. Those things are just kind of like left open. So there are like deterrent factors that are able to come into play as far as that goes. Like, uh, like I say, a demon, for example, wants to come in and they want to deter you from the things that are set in stone. Like, do they have the ability to try to do that and potentially like kill you in a different way than you intended? No, they don't have the ability. They would like you to think that they have the ability to change your death or to change your destiny, but they really can't. They can influence you so that you go left instead of going right when you should really should have gone right. But if you're meant to die from, say you're meant to die from falling out of a tree, right? I mean, who knows why you fell out of a tree? You know, maybe it's because a limb broke. Maybe it's because a demon pushed you out of the tree. Maybe it's because you were clumsy. You know, it, it's there's, with all these external factors. But ultimately, your death is, is supposed to happen from falling out of a tree. So that's what happens. So a um, demon cannot change that. So when it uh, comes to demons exactly, like people assumably because of like Hollywood and just like the interpretation that we have, we assume that they have a lot more power than what they really do. But realistically they have no power over you in the physical world. The only power they have is the power that you give them or the power that they can nudge you towards something. But if you decide to, if they, they're trying to push you one way and you walk against that, like they have no power to be able to like push you back that other way. Right. They can. Um, I've seen them reach in and squeeze a heart and cause a heart attack. They can physically hurt you. They can pick you up and throw you. They can influence you to do things that you normally would not do. Uh, but ultimately, they cannot change the outcome of your death. That cannot be changed at all. They would like people to think that they can. They are powerful in the way that we give them power by, be by fearing them. But they can make your life a living hell, and they do. So they don't really have to reach in and squeeze your heart and cause a heart attack. They can just, you know, make people, make your health go decline, make your finances go in the toilet, make your relationships, you know, go in the toilet, uh, you know, isolate you from any support system that you have. And all, doing all of these things alone is enough, is enough torture. And they have fun doing it. So, um, kind of going more into like modern day, as far as like the demon connection with, uh, the UFO connection. So 
when people have like abduction stories, different things like this happening. And when people are seeing like this normal idea of like what, like an extraterrestrial is explained as nowadays, um, do you more so see those as demons trying to pick a different image to show themselves as, or is that potentially another race that has been started by um, the council of elders that, is trying to make contact with us. Like, like where, where exactly do they play like a factor with like the current like UFO lore? Well, the UFOs are, you know, they are uh, species and God doesn't particularly like them interfering. Um, but if the person thinks that the devil or if they fear an alien, then the, the demon will make them see them as an alien, a really creepy one, probably. <laughs> but it's whatever you fear. If like some people, when they see they see a demon, it'll show them as the, what they fear, like spider or a tarantula or, or uh, uh, a saber-toothed tiger, whatever. They'll make themselves appear in that way, and you you know, to scare you, to elicit the fear. But they uh, uh, the leopard can't change its spots. It is what it is. Just, I'm, I'm being very quiet over here because I'm really fascinated by this. And and the the whole thing that happened to me, I'm, I know you don't know, and it's a very long story, but basically I had all this stuff happening in this apartment that I lived in where I found out after the fact there was a girl raped and murdered there. Um, there was also a um, disturbing of the earth there. So there was a lake that was dug and built, but... I just, it never let me see it. It was definitely an incubus. Um, but then when I moved it, it was just gone. Like, it's the strangest thing. Well, it's it was probably attached to the land there or the building. You know, they can, they can be attached to the land or there may, be a dark, there may have been a dark portal close well, by. Well, I had a mirror. And they would use that to come and go. Um, there was there was a mirror <laughs> that um, it was my mother's, my grandmother's, and I got rid of the mirror. But I think that that could have been a, a source or a portal. Yeah, they can they can be anywhere. I've had them in closets. I've had them in mirrors. I've had them in TVs. It's like you know, just take pick one. You know, they're everywhere. So uh, kind of going back into like the universal concepts of things, um, as far as like the place where like human consciousness like came from when we were, had like we're physical before we became spiritual and back to physical, um, as far as like that location goes, do you know if there's still potentially life there? If it's of the same thing, if it's like a dead planet, like what, what ended up happening to like the old home? Oh, it's yeah, the, the planet was destroyed. Yeah, the planet was completely destroyed. So um, the sun went supernova Oops, sorry, and go destroyed, you know, it, it went supernova and destroyed several planets. So was there like other consciousness like on this planet or was it single, like just like human life or was there like, um, like other, like other life forms, like animals and different things like that? There was, yeah, there, there were animals. Um, there were, there were people that, well, People, people, animals. Um, they had insects, so it was it was much like we have now, you know. And the the trees and the uh, the plant life and everything. They they as well. Ha it as well has soul. 
people don't realize that everything that lives has a soul of one kind or another. And like an animal can come back as a human if it wants to, or, or a human can come back as an animal if it wants to. It's entirely up to the individual soul. They don't care. It's like, oh, I've never been a dog. Let's, let's go down and be a dog. You know. so like, or an elephant or whatever. When uh, God came and took all the consciousness off that planet, assumably he took also the consciousness of all the other living things on the planet and not just like the human consciousness? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Everything evolved and, and progressed at the same time. And he helped the animals and the insects and the you know, the vegetation, you know, he helped them on separately, you know, evolve so that they could go as well because he knew it was coming. He knew that the planet was going to be destroyed anyway. So he wanted to bring everyone with them. And we traveled as a collective. It's like, I hate to say Star Trek, but like the hive mind type of thing with, you know, the Borg, but we all traveled as one giant collective each per each soul is individual in itself, but over all of that, you can feel the God consciousness. When I died and went to the other side, it's like I could literally hear every soul in in existence. And above all that, I got I saw that they were all connected to God, to the God consciousness, and it, it was quite interesting to see to see that from a human perspective. But Ariel already knew that from, you know, from an angelic perspective. So it was quite interesting to learn about that because it, it's almost like you went to the other side and you down, uh, all this information was downloaded into your brain so that when you came back, you remembered everything. It's funny. I can't remember. couldn't remember what happened for a year after that because I had a fractured skull. I had a, but uh, I remember everything that happened on the other side. All that, uh, to me, sounds a lot like the uh, descriptions of the Ashik record and this idea that, you know, all consciousness and all information, you know, resides somewhere in the universe. And, you know, we almost can tap into that. Um, Do you think that it's possible that, uh, you know, the the stories of the Ashik record came from just what you're describing? Well, the the Akashic records is man's way, man's answer to trying to figure out where all the information from these past lives, you know, comes from or goes to, or is kept. So, you know, what better thing to, you know, put it in a book, you know, but really it, the soul consciousness has the memories from every lifetime that it lives every lifetime. We don't have like the small little day-to-day stuff. It's not kept. That's all let go of, but the major things like traumas, births, deaths, um, you know, uh, how you died, you know, the, the feeling of the death, uh, the feeling of the birth. This is all stored in the soul consciousness. So it, it has it forever. We have the body has a soul, has a cell memory. Well, the soul has a cell memory. And sometimes it holds on to things it really shouldn't hold on to. Like, you know, oh, I was strangled to death, but I really think that was interesting. So I'm going to hold on to that. You know? uh, yeah, it's like, I'll give you an example. My, my husband has always had an absolute fear of drowning. Absolute. I mean, not unsubstantiated, but absolute fear of drowning. 
and he's an auditor, so he's very left-brained. And one day, years ago, a few years back, he had a dream three nights in a row. He said he was on the Arizona, and he was down below decks in the rec room, and there were a bunch of them down there. And they, he was walking through water like you walk through air. And the big topic of conversation was, how come they didn't come for us? They entombed those men's bodies down there. And they were upset that nobody came for them. And he said, and the next thing I know, I'm up on the monument and I'm running my finger down until I find my name and then I wake up. He said, but I don't remember what the name is. He said, can you get me a list of the men that died on the Arizona? I'm like, okay. So it's like 18 pages of men that died on the Arizona. And a page like, I think it was 13 or 15. He came to me and says, this is it. This is who I was. I looked at the name and I'm like, the name was Raymond Arthur Roby. He said, that's who I was. I named my son after my grandfather, Ray Arthur. Wow. There is no such thing as coincidence. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> so, um, but kind of uh, breaking but, down the concept that you were kind of explaining, if you're kind of looking at humans as almost like a, like a computer, because that's the best way I can kind of relate this concept. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when it comes to like storing memories, if there's something that's, universal that could be used for the collective of all it almost seems like it could almost be stored on like the akashic records which would be like the equivalent of like the internet and then when it comes to yeah. the individual if there's individual memories that you have of like past lives things like that they're almost like a hidden file on a computer that it's there but you don't really know exactly where it's at but sometimes when you look stuff up you'll see like a like a little header that'll say something that's in that hidden file and that's where you're like hey like where did that come from where why do i have memory of this why do i know about this and it's like the data is there but it's stored as a hidden file and sometimes little references pop up but more so the that would be like all of your like personal information, all the things that you wouldn't be sharing to the outer web where the Akashic record comes into play when it's like things that are universal that need to get saved for the memory of like everything and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's all stored in the soul. The soul memory is infinite. So it's not like it's going to run out of memory and the experiences that it holds onto are the most profound ones, whether it be a death or a birth or, you know, learning how to drive a car it's the things that the individual soul uh gives credence to the things that it considers important although unfortunately there are souls that are hoarders they hold on to everything <laughs> the good the bad and the ugly unfortunately but you know if you hold on to bad things then like my husband with the you know drowning and never drowned in this lifetime you know it will affect that you know your present lifetime i mean he won't go into a pool if his feet don't touch the ground i mean he and he will not go on a boat but you know but he doesn't let that stop him from you know getting in the pool or you know or whatever getting on a fishing boat but he doesn't like it but he doesn't let it rule him so kind of, I'm glad that you brought up water actually. So there's a lot of like theories about like water carrying memory and more often than not, it seems like when people are like showering, things like that, they'll remember things when they're in the shower or they'll like make connections with things that almost seem like it's a connection to like the Akashic record. So when it comes into that, 
do you feel that there may potentially be some type of consciousness to water itself? Or do you think that because of it being like a conductor that it almost has the ability to be able to like catch and like store memories that would theoretically also be in the Akashic record? It's uh, well, if you stop and think about it as if water is moving, you know, no matter where it is, except for it's in your glass, but water's moving. And the movement of the water creates its own, like a hydro dam, it cre creates electricity. But in the paranormal, it, it creates, you know, electromagnetic energy. And you're showering and that energy is, is flowing. And so that's, and you start remembering things or you hear, or quote unquote, hear better or see better in, you know, when there's, when you're in the shower or when you're in the bathroom, you know. On the toilet or whatever. <laughs> some people do, you know. Don't, don't make me go there with that. One, some people do. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting. And uh, there's obviously the idea in paranormal and high strangeness circles that water acts as a liminal space or a liminal area. And these high strangeness events seem to happen around, you know, streams and ponds and things of that nature, you know, cryptid sightings, things like that. Uh, do you think that has to do with the nature of water that you were just describing and the electromagnetism and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and all things require water. You stop and think about it as far as cryptids go. Uh, they need to drink. You know, everybody, everything that lives needs water, whether it's a plant or a person or a cryptid. It all needs water, definitely. Um, but it it is it's water and air the staff of life basically you know you can't live without either one so um <clears throat> kind of expanding into the water concept just because i don't know why this popped into my brain but so physical vessels of course need water in order to in order to live but when it comes to like spiritual vessels do they have something that's like an equivalent of water or do they have like something like that that they need to live other than just like almost like pulling energy off of others like um uh, white light, the white light energy is a, is a form of life-giving energy, and that comes from God and the Galactic Council and the Federation uh, of Elders, the Galactic Federation and the Council of Elders, but they basically that energy sustains them. It's the white light energy and the golden energy, like I call it the tri, the tri-light energy kind of a weird thing to think about that <clears throat> if they're made of those different types of energy and when it comes to people we're made of primarily like water it almost makes you wonder if like that's our pure true energy source and maybe there's more of like a god component to water than what we give it yeah well stop and think it like you said life cannot exist without water and air you know it's it it's a it's gives life I mean, that could potentially be also why we store so much in water because potentially, you know, when, when your water, de when you decompose and you die, the water evaporates and becomes one with the universe again. So maybe that's where the aspect of memories and water comes in is that it's like the residual memories that were stored in the vessel. And when the vessel dies and becomes one with the mm -hmm. universe again, that that's where the memories are. It's just the, the stuff that was still sitting in the computer that people didn't pull yeah. out. Right, right. So it's all the yeah residual random crap energy, but <laughs> you're talking earlier in the show about how you have the 
connection with with angels. So when it comes to that exact, are there more angels that you know of that are around and residing in people? And if so, like how how common of a thing is that? Like, is there is there more angels residing in people than what people would expect there to be? There, um, there are seven archangels in the world today born into the physical, and I know them all, and I'm one of them. I have, I have met the one, in, I've met the other one in the United States, I met the one in uh, Scotland and France and Italy and Spain. They're, they're just, they're everywhere. You just, you're drawn to each other. There are over 300,000 warrior angels born into the world today, and there are over 3 million of them walking the earth as spirits as angelic beings keep keeping watch over the, for the darkness um so like with your work do you um help people figure out if they have something like this in them because potentially you know p- some people feel off and it's not necessarily always like a dark connection but if they do feel off sometimes you know they'll be looking for help with like light workers and stuff and they may not make that connection to something angelic so that being said do you like help people make that connection to their p- potentially being something angelic in them Yes, uh, I've I've had you know over the last three years have been you know over three thousand of them come to me that have got you know they they'll see see me or they'll hear though and because they have the angelic energy inside of them they'll be attracted to this person this other angelic energy and so they'll connect with me and if they have a warrior angel or whatever in them I let them know you know what resides within them. And I'm given the name of the warrior angel. You're only given the name once. So you tell them to write it down because they won't repeat their name because it's, it's the warrior, it's the angelic name. But once they get that, then you, you tell them, you know, I have a little step-by-step on how to merge your physical consciousness with the angelic consciousness. And I'll send them that. And if they have questions, they can, you know, they can call me or they can, you know, email me and I help them make it through these times. I'm also writing a book called The Angel Primer. And what it is basically is a how-to manual for people that are, have angelic souls. It teaches them, you know, how to connect with the soul, teaches them how to protect themselves. It teaches them, you know, how to create weapons of light how to um, call to call other angels to them, how they can look into another person's mind and help heal it. They have the ability to heal. They have the ability to communicate with animals. It's, it's all in there, but most people don't even know what, you know, what they're doing. They don't know anything about it other than they know they're different. They know they have abilities, but they don't know anything else. So, uh, for anybody that wants to contact you as far as, uh, you know, trying to figure that out exactly if they have something attached to them, angelic, or, um, they just want to look into your work, where can they come and find you and contact you at? Um, they can go to my website, which is demonseer.com, or they can go to, uh, Facebook under June Lundgren. Um, I also have a paranormal group called Ghosts and Girls Paranormal, uh, we haven't been doing it a lot since the pandemic, but you can find me in either place or I'm on uh, Instagram as well. I have a YouTube channel as well. 
and uh, you can email me through my website and if you want to ask questions or you need help or anything like that you can contact me through there and you'll find all of my books I have 11 books and they're all on amazon.com and they uh, can you can be they can be found there you know there's like everything from a paranormal romance to the dark side of the paranormal um, demon seer which i released almost a year ago uh next month uh which talks about how the negatives are influencing people and things in the world today and then i just released about two weeks ago uh the second in the series of demon seekers demon seeker into darkness the first one was demon seekers the journey begins that's a series that's going to be a series of seven books and each one of the archangels that are in the world today are going to be featured in one of these books that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. I feel like I've learned a lot and um, I think you've shined a lot of light on things that I didn't know existed and you've made a lot of connections between things that I did know existed but could maybe be something else. So thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and experience with us tonight. Well, thanks for having me. I always enjoy being with, on his show. <laughs> oh, he's so nice. <laughs> Just a just a little extra bonus yeah, question. No, I always enjoy you guys. I, we appreciate it. We definitely enjoy yeah. talking to you also. <laughs> just a little extra bonus yeah. question at the end, of course, too, because uh, when it comes to somebody that's an author, I always like to give a little shout out to it. Um, if you had to pick a personal favorite book that you wrote that you would recommend to people, um, maybe if it's even two, like what's what's your personal favorite that you would tell people to, to read first? I think A Medium's Guide to the Paranormal, which was the first one I wrote. I think that one would be the best one because it gives, there's a lot of information in there about a lot of different topics. And it's kind of like, you know, getting your feet wet. You're like, oh, okay. Everything from demons to ghosts to, um, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, wow. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on today. And as usual, it's always an absolute pleasure. And I'm looking forward to the next time we get to uh, sit down and have an awesome conversation like this. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be like I'm going to be teaching a class on two classes on warrior angels at the Oregon Ghost Conference the last weekend in March. Say, so if you want, we can include all the links to that too. So if anybody wants to come and uh, come and listen, they can uh, go and check it out if they're in the area. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the OregonGhostConference.com. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to uh, leave us a review or a rating. Always appreciate it. It's a good way to uh, get the show seen by more people. Also, sharing with a friend is a very valid way of doing so. If you know that people are into something weird, they're into the bizarre, drop the name and uh, you know it might sub subconsciously get stuck in the back of their head and they might look it up in the future. So, And if any of y'all out there want to reach out to us for any reason, either shoot us an email or reach out on social media. Y'all know how the internet works. Y'all know how the things work. So... Uh, yeah, reach out to us and share your bizarre encounters. And yet again, every link we've mentioned is on the link tree in the show description. I've been Shane. I've been Oren. And I've been Jenny. And we're the Bizarre Crew, and don't be afraid to keep it bizarre. 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 bizarre.